0: Turn to 1 John chapter 1, please. I'm just going to read a couple verses here. It says, If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, if you remember, we've been looking at the Lord's model prayer. And today we're kind of dealing with, forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. That's Luke 11, verse 4. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now, like I said last week, these are things that I believe that God plans on answering if we ask. Forgive us our sins. I mean, that's something that most of us learned the very first thing we knew about Jesus when we first understood what we were hearing in church is, Jesus forg- comes to forgive our sins. He came so that we can have forgiveness of sins. Pray, Jesus forgive me. And then we come here to first to 1 John. And we try to dive in a little bit deeper into this. Let me just read a little bit of this again. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he starts this uh, this little conversation with us by talking about fellowship. If we are convinced that we have fellowship with God, If we say we have fellowship with him while walking in darkness, what does it say about us? What does he he say about us right after that? In verse 6. We lie. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. We're lying to ourselves. We're lying to God. We're lying to everybody around us. If we say, that we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness. Yeah. I know God. Me and Jesus, yeah, we're we've been pretty close. You know, ever since I was a kid. I remember going to church. I remember, you know, praying with my parents or with my grandparents, or you know, and I've always felt the need to pray when things get tough. And um yeah. Yeah, I, I fellowship with God. I walk with God. You know, I'm a Christian. But then you look at this man's life, or this woman, and you see there's there's nothing there that actually shows that you're walking with God. There's nothing that sets you apart from anybody else on this round planet. You live your life just the way you want to live it. And you know what? It's your life, I guess, you have that choice to make. But there's nothing in your life that... Looks devoted to God. There's nothing that you've ever sacrificed for the sake of Jesus Christ. So what does that what does that say about this man? You know, perhaps there is sin that he is constantly, you know, just giving himself to. No big deal. It's my life. I can I can have a vice, right? What's that say about this man? If we say we if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness. What? We lie, we lie. What is the what is a lie? It's a basic, very basic question. What's a lie? It's, not, it's it's saying one thing when the other thing is right is true. You're not saying the true thing. You're saying the thing that's not true. You guys are throwing me off. Everybody else is over here. You know, we lie. We are not right when we say. I fellowship with God, but yet there's nothing to back up your claim. You are wrong. You do not have fellowship with God. You are not God's. You are not a Christian. You are not walking with God or His people. You may go to church and mingle with His people, but you are not God's. Because your life doesn't back up your claim. God doesn't care as much about how you act on Sundays as how you act on Sunday. Monday through Saturday. If you say you fellowship with Him, but yet you walk in darkness, you're not telling the truth. But then He goes on to say, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' his Son cleanses us from all sin. See, if we claim we walk in the light, and we are actually walking in the light, Well, now we're saying the true thing, are we not? If we say that we are Christ's, and we have a life that actually looks like it's following after Christ, well, that life actually backs up the claim. And take this back further. I've prayed a prayer. I've professed Christ. But yet, nothing after that actually ever substantiated that claim. You know, we we say words in a prayer we say words perhaps kneeling at a pulpit on a sunday we pray this prayer we say these words but yet there's nothing that substantiates that in your life yeah i walk with Christ. i'm a christian i pray the prayer but your life is the complete opposite of the things that you're claiming he's saying he, what John is teaching us here is that a life has to substantiate a claim. And I, you know, I, I didn't really coin this, but I call this the Abraham principle. And we talked about this a little bit on Sunday, how, when, what, what was the story where Abraham's faith was counted as righteousness? Remember that story? What happened? When was Abraham counted Righteous. When God told him to offer up Isaac. And he went and he offered up Isaac. Did he not? He obeyed. But it wasn't his obedience that was counted as righteousness. It was his faith that was counted as righteousness, was it not? Abraham had a son at the age of, what was it, 100 years old. Miracle. God said, through this son Isaac, you're going to have great nations come from you. You're going to have kids and kids and kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. And these, all, of, all of these children that are going to be born with your blood, they're going to make this outstanding nation. And the whole world will be blessed through your seed. The whole world. It's going to be magnificent. And it's going to be through Isaac. But then, when Isaac's you know, a little bit older, God tells Abraham... Now take this son of promise and go kill him. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But Abraham, he doesn't quarrel with God. He says, Isaac, get on your donkey. Let's go. (laughs) Get some wood. Let's go get some firewood and let's go. We're going to go offer a sacrifice. And they get to the hill. And Isaac says, hey, we have some wood, but we don't have a sacrifice. What's going on? What does Abraham say? Do you remember what Abraham says to Isaac? God, God, will, provide. God will provide it. Jehovah Jireh. God will provide a sacrifice. What, what made him say that? What made him say that? Faith. Faith. What made him go in the first place? Faith. He had faith. And because he had faith, his actions substantiated that Faith. And that's after he obeyed, after he had the life that substantiated the faith, that's when he was counted to be righteous. When he he had the faith that caused him to act. He had the faith that made him righteous, but it made him righteous when he actually substantiated the faith through action. Not that the action saves, please don't get me wrong, because this is one of the most misinterpreted concepts in the entire scriptures. Actions, obedience, do not save you. They simply substantiate a faith that's already there. A faith that makes you righteous. A faith in Christ Jesus who gave you His righteousness. But when you have that, when you have that faith, when God gives you the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that produces, that will. There's, no, there's nobody who's outside of this. There's, there's no exceptions to this. Nobody is an exception to, a, to this rule. When you have faith, that makes you right. Gives you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Your life will follow suit. Your life will substantiate that faith. If there is no life that is revealing faith, then there is no faith. And I've been reading through this book of First John, and it would be great to do a series on it. But there's a lot of, sort of other things. But the point of First John is, I mean, he kind of, he uh, he states his point. Let's see here. In chapter 5, verse 13, the whole reason he's writing this is stated in 1 John 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He's telling us these things so that we can know that we have eternal life. He's trying to give us confidence. He's trying to give us confidence. We can have confidence, not in our actions, we have confidence in Christ, but we can have confidence that Christ has saved us, In that, we can see his righteousness pouring out throughout our lives. We can see that. And we're not supposed to be people who are constantly judging other people, but we can discern. We can be discerning. We're supposed to tell wolves apart from sheep, are we not? We're supposed to be able to tell who's a true brother and who's not a true brother. We're supposed to be able to tell. And... There were many, there were, one of the biggest things in the, first, in, the, in the book of First John that he says is a substantiating lifestyle is you live a life of loving other people because you've been loved by God. If you, can, if you can understand that God loves you, then you should take that same love and go love everybody else because you've done far more to God than anybody has ever done to you. So if there's anybody that you hold hatred in your heart against, that's probably a sign that you're not saved. John actually teaches that in, in the book of First John. He says point blank, The people who are gods do not hate. They don't hate. It's not it's not something that somebody who is a Christian does. It's not possible for that person. Not that it's not a temptation, because there's a lot of people who can do a lot of harmful things to us and have done a lot of harmful things to us. But the point of the book of First John is he's giving us a picture of somebody who is saved. And I suggest that you go home and you read the book of First John for yourselves. And just look at what he says about what a Christian is. What he looks like. What he doesn't look like. He loves. He doesn't hate. He walks in the light. He doesn't walk in the darkness. And there's lots of other things we could go into. And he continues here. In verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So there's another, reason, there's another way that we lie to ourselves, right? That we say we have no sin. We lie to ourselves and we lie to the people around us when we try to go around saying that there is no sin in our lives. Because we all do. Not that we walk around in, in doom and gloom. But no, we walk around understanding verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Okay? And this is something that, that really points us back to the Lord's prayer when he says, forgive us our sins for we forgive those who have sinned against us or those who are indebted to us. A lot of us live deceitful lives. We live our life in such a way that we want to deceive other people. We show up on Sunday, looking perfect, talking like, you know, we're these perfect Christians. We never pray about our own sins. We pray about other people's sins. We never ask help from anybody. Like, Man, I've just been struggling with temptation. Temptation. Will you please pray for me? Will you please pray for me? Because I'm struggling right now. We don't understand 1 John chapter 5, verse 16. Well, let's start in verse 14, First John 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to, to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. And then he goes on, he launches right into 16 off of that thought. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. God will give him life. We need for people to pray for us, that we will be delivered from sin, that we will be delivered from darkness, that we will be delivered from temptation. We need people to pray for us. You lie to yourself every single time that you think, I don't need prayer for this. I don't need to confess my sin. It's not that big of a deal. Other people commit way more sins. You know? I'm doing alright. My life seems to be all nice and neat and organized and people respect me and if I, ask, request, if I ask for prayer about a sin if I confess this in front of the brotherhood then people will think less of me. If that's the case then shame on us. Shame on us for developing an atmosphere where people don't automatically just know that people are going to love us and accept us and help us. Shame on us if we think, if I confess my sin openly, people are going to hate me, people are going to gossip about me, people are going to spread it around town. Oh, can you believe that so-and-so deals with this temptation, this sin? Shame on us if that's the atmosphere in this church. But I can understand it. Because that's the way the normal world works putting people down, lifting up yourself. Got to have something spectacular to say in that conversation that pops up in town. Oh, do you hear about so-and-so? We just got to talk about it, don't we? We got to tell everybody everybody else's business. Shame on us. If we don't have an atmosphere in this church where we can be open about our need for help, but yet we don't, we're not open because we feel like people are just going to look down on us. And treat us poorly, drag our name through the mud. We should be able to confess our sins and obey God in doing so. We should be able to confess our sins. Because He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But what about you? Are we faithful to each other? To speak cleanly about people? To not to or do we, rather than, you know, Jesus cleanses us from unrighteousness, do we filthy the name of people because we know the dirt on them? Jesus cleanses us from our unrighteousness when we confess our sins. Do we drag people's names through the mud? Do we think filthy filthiness towards them? Jesus doesn't. So do you want to be like Jesus? Well, if, somebody, if you hear about somebody's failures, don't tell everybody about it. Go and help them. Pray for them. John said that if you pray for your brothers, God will give them life. God will deliver them if you pray for them. So pray for them. Talk to God about them, not your neighbor. So coming back to this Lord's Prayer, this element of confessing our sins is actually very, a very deep exposure into the life of the church. Are we a church that can confess sins to each other, to ask for help? Say, man, I, I need some help. Will you help me? Or is that just impossible because we just know that it's going to blow up and I'm going to lose my reputation in town because I said something in church? This should be a safe place. This should not be a place where people are just coming to get the scoop. It's not what this is for. This place is for fellowship, where we are fellows, we are comrades. We are to love each other as Christ loved his church and gave himself for it. Gave himself for it. And yet you use other people's information so that you can just have a spectacular thing to say the next time you run into somebody on the street. Let's be like Christ. Let's cease the gossip. Let's cease the hatred. And let's start building up the people that are cast low because of their sin. Let's start praying for those people, not despising them. God doesn't despise them. That's the kind of person that God came to To forgive as Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray that you would help us to be lovers. I pray that you would help us to help this this place to be a safe place where people know that they are loved and they are cherished. And that they can come for help. They can come for guidance, for prayer, for the things that they really know that they need prayer for, but perhaps might be a little intimidated to speak up about. I pray that we would be a safe place where confession can be made so that we can pray for the things that really matter, for the, for the things that Satan is defeating us, so that we can no longer walk in defeat, but because we've been prayed for by, by your people, we can be delivered. And Lord, I pray that in this way, we might substantiate the faith that we claim that we have by living out the righteousness that God gave us, that you gave us, Lord, to live out the righteousness that you shed your blood so that you could give us freely. Not so that we can take advantage of it, but so that we can live it out and show it to other people. Father, strengthen us and forgive us. Forgive us for where we have fallen short, where we have gossiped, where we have spoken out of turn. Forgive us for not confessing our sins when we should have. For not admitting to not wanting to face up to our needs, to our deficiencies, as though we were some sort of perfect example that everybody else should look up to. Forgive us for thinking so highly of ourselves. Forgive us for not rejoicing in your forgiveness. Forgive us for trying to establish our own righteousness so that we wouldn't have to face any shameful thing. Forgive us for not facing our sins so that we can rejoice in your righteousness.